But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. Good, everybody. Welcome back to the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. My name is Kyle Krieger. want to welcome you on behalf of myself and Wilkie Law to the latest episode of the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. Uh, this is part one of a conversation, two-part conversation we have with our friend Ray Hewitt, uh, who um, is one of the leaders of the Teach Better team, uh, teaching on different methods, and basically they've got their hand in everything right now. So it's been a few years since we had her on to talk um, about what she was doing then. Uh, she was still a classroom teacher then. Now she's full-time with Teach Better. Um, and it was really interesting to see her perspective over the last couple years, especially talking about the perspectives of teachers and admin and how, as she describes it, you know, teachers can't understand why admin doesn't see the situation the way they do and see what's really going on and admin can't figure out why teachers aren't understanding what they're asking them to do. So it was a really good conversation. This is part one again uh, with our friend Ray. You can find her online at Ray Hewart, H-U-G-H-A-R-T, or find her on Teach Better Team. So thanks for listening and part two of this will come out next week. Welcome back, everybody, to the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. My name's Kyle Krieger. Thrilled to be joined this morning by my guy, Wilkie V. Law III. Will, what is happening? It's cold in Houston. But again, that's relative to the people that you're talking with. Uh, for Houstonians, it's 27 degrees right now. Where I'm at, wind chilled is 16. So it's cold for me. Uh, but I'm enjoying the time. We had a non-snow snow day yesterday. So... Got to spend the day sitting on the couch, vegging out, doing absolutely nothing but watching shows with my wife and my daughter. So that was what, amazing. What did y'all choose to watch? I never asked you that. Uh, we watched Raising Dion. Raising Dion. It's uh, based off of a comic book uh, about a little boy who gets superpowers. Mm. And um, it's a really great show. We watched season one uh, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And they just started, dropped season two on Netflix. So... I have to say, if you're into the superhero type of jazz, it is a great storyline. And the little character that's in it is amazing. The guy, the kid who plays Dion. Um, yeah, It'll, you'll see a lot of familiarities with students in your classroom. I mean, that's how I see it. And, you know, I can't really turn that teacher brain off. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> we are super pumped to have a friend that we haven't, we were just talking about how long it's been, but our friend, from the Teach Better team, Ray Hewitt is with us on the podcast for the first time in forever. So, Ray, thanks for being here. Welcome back. Good to see you. 
Oh, I so appreciate the invite back. I'm such a fan of you guys. This was such a good treat. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny because I I still listen and watch and follow all the stuff that you do. And I was thinking, because we had kind of over the last couple of years gotten a little bit sidetracked with the podcast in terms of like scheduling people and getting people on. And, and when we were talking at the end of 21, we're like, who do we want to have on? And we're like, well, we could just like cycle back to the OGs at least to start. So anytime you're able to bring people back years later, it's different conversations, different passions, different hurdles. I'm totally game for, for doing this all again. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. All right. Well, for, you know, maybe the, the four people in education who might not know who you are, could you give us a little bit of your background and what you currently do now in the education space? Of course. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ray Hewart. I'm currently the CXO of the Teach Better team. I'm the executive director of a nonprofit that is called the Ames Association. And I also have a background in middle-level education. I've taught at the university level. I have had a whirlwind of the past few years, like we all have. And I always love being able to kind of surround myself with different opportunities to see education through different lenses, through different perspectives. And I can't complain. It's a really wonderful gig I have now to be able to work with teachers day in, day out, and actually get my feet on the ground and see that impact. It's powerful. Okay. So you said you're, the nonprofit you're uh, a director for is, is called what? It's called AIM. So it stands for the Association of Illinois Middle Grade Schools. And I've actually sat on the board for AIMS for the last five years and just recently took on a little bit more of an official role as the executive director. Essentially, it's an Illinois nonprofit that supports middle school educators, whether it be administrators or teachers. So it's kind of fun. I have this weird opportunity to like walk into every middle school middle school across the state, which is a new opportunity for me. So I'm feel like I'm networking like crazy and I'm really getting to learn about Illinois specific concerns. Whereas obviously in Teach Better, we're a global community. So I get to focus on on a different lens as I'm working with educators from all different states and countries and everything in between. Hmm. How, how do you feel like it's been trying to keep keep the balance between you or between those two? Because I I see what you post all the time and I'm like, I don't understand how you could do multiple jobs with all of the recording and the posting and all of that stuff that you're doing. No, I mean, I love Teach Better. Teach Better is my passion. Uh, there's no job better than that. It, it, it really was, as many educators know, we have the luxury of having so much power in our classrooms of controlling the narrative. Um, or at least in some regard, we have a lot of choice in our job. I feel very similarly about Teach Better. I really got to craft what that role looked like. I got to take my favorite pieces of education and really make that my focus. And uh, it also gives me a lot of variety. I host a, a morning daily show every day for educators to tune into or catch after the fact. I, I get to work in a lot of different facilitation roles, but the Ames organization really was in a different phase of life, phase of growth. It's been around for almost a hundred years, but it also is still working to um, kind of enter into supporting a 21st century classroom, which I felt like I had a relatively good knowledge base to be able to support that in. So I really like it because it's similar work, um, but in very different phases of life. The things I'm getting to do right now with the Ames organization is really more about more similar to what I was doing with Teach Better five years ago. You know what I mean? 
Interesting. That's fantastic. I, that is that is super interesting. Like I, that in it in and of itself to be around for a hundred over a hundred years is just mind blowing. You know, I'm new to the middle school space. Uh, you know, I've only been in now for five years, uh, four years actually, um, and that we don't have that type of support here in Texas. Mm. Uh, I can imagine, I can see a lot of teachers benefiting from having a space like that, where you get that sense of networking on a non-official administrative type of, you know, networking where you can actually really have those real conversations and see change. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's That's interesting, awesome. you know, Ames really is trying to find its space in a 21st century middle school classrooms world right now, whether it be supporting the teacher or the students or the administrators, but you know, it's kind of the sub, like our parent company for Ames is AMLE, which is obviously a national middle school support system that supports everyone across the US. And I think they're actually expanding into Canada as well. So I apologize, I'm ignorant to that, but it's always nice to be a part of an organization that's dedicated to networking, regardless of what network you choose to walk into. And then it's also really nice when that, when that network can have perspective, not only at a state level, but at a national or global level to really ensure that everything that you're discussing in those networking opportunities are well-rounded and are really supportive of all types of people. So it's been a, it's been a blessing. I hope to continue it for another few years. And then I really hope whether I stay in this position or just go back to the board, it really is a, a middle school support system that I'd love to always be a part of. I guess on a on a question that's kind of related to where we've been the last couple of years, did did AIM how did they kind of fall when it came to COVID? Like, because it seemed at least where I am, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, that there was very little room to be apolitical on it. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, you know, how how did that organization kind of navigate this time when there was so much? Um, there are so many conflicting opinions and then maybe how did, how did the organization try to support teachers through what's been a crazy couple of years? Yeah, no, it's a huge question. I think everyone's still trying to answer that, but, um, Ames being at a state level, especially in Illinois, for those of you who are familiar with Illinois politics over the last few years, the governor's been making a lot of decisions, which has then allowed Ames as a nonprofit of the state to have a very specific direction of support that it's able to provide. Um, so in some regard, Ames has just continued to be a space to support administrators more than anything else during COVID, really discern what laws and responsibilities they need to be focusing on and and really foster a collaborative space where administrators from around the Chicagoland area or across the state can actually share resources and ideas. Whereas Teach Better, being more of a global organization, has been really able to funnel and fuel very different types of conversations between teachers and administrators because you know, we host an administrator mastermind every Tuesday. It meets in the morning and in the afternoon, just depending on what time works best for administrators. And we get people from all different backgrounds with all different perspectives and all different opinions on that topic. And so Teach Better has actually been a space to bring in a mul bring in multiple perspectives, problem solve, share resources, obviously connect those dots for people. Um, so it's really been nice to be a part of two different organizations that have the opportunity to serve in two different ways. I was in the classroom last year so I also, throughout the, um, the first year, first few years of COVID, 
um, was able to have kind of like my feet on the ground working with my middle school students. This is the first year now that I have fully been transitioned to being a support for education in a different space um, as of this past year. So uh, it's been very interesting being able to support classroom teachers and support administrators in all different facets and also be able to kind of have the perspective when speaking to a teacher, when working with the teacher on something to say, hey, last year I was there with you. You know, when when we all shut down March of 2020, I too had that exact same experience. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the things that that began. And these are how the conversations have gone since. So um, I'm really valuing hopefully bringing in, you know, different ideas, different perspectives, and also some some genuine brainstorming opportunities for the people I get to hang out with every day. But it's almost like for you, one hand feeds the other really, really well. Like that's a really good sweet spot uh, as I'm looking at it, because one of the biggest challenges is bringing what you know that is research-based or that is, you know, globally being accepted as something that is working and making that transition to the local because there's so much time between what we know research says and what we actually do in practice like it's not it's not fluid yet uh, uh but i you know i can say like i know for me like i always try to bring research methods when we do our our co- collaborative planning and I'll, I'll bring in and say guys this is what the research is saying how can we adapt this to our our, our specific population but i know a lot of districts and a lot of campuses are not having those type of conversations because it's teach 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 when sometimes like, sometimes you, you need to let kids breathe. Yeah. You know, they call me the hippie teacher, you know, cause I, you know, SEL has always been my thing. And so now that it's being more of a focus, it's like, for me, it's just what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, an extra thing that I do. It's just what I do. And so sometimes it's good just to, as teachers to remember that just breathe, take time to, to build yourself up to know what you're, what, what's going on in your world and make those decisions that are best for you. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important as educators are, are moving forward, whether they are a classroom teacher at a first grade level or a high school history teacher or a middle school math teacher, we all are in a space um, to make big decisions, big instructional decisions, big social emotional decisions in our classroom. For me, my focus always, and I think this is just because everybody has their passion space, right? So I can't do it alone. I need uh, I need my community to, to, to come together and do this with, alongside me. But um, for me, it's all about trying to find a way to make it sustainable and scalable. Educators right now are feeling like their checklists and to-do lists are so long. They feel like they're wearing a thousand hats. They feel like they don't have enough hours in the day. And you know what? They're right in how they feel. Like they feel like they're being put, you know, things are being put on them that aren't their responsibility. They're right. That is happening. So for me, it's less about, you know, this is the right answer or this is the model that's going to fix everything, but it's about identifying one of the problems that they are most eager to solve. And then how can we solve it in a way that isn't just a really quick fix or, or pulling an idea out of a hat? But how can we actually create something in the classroom that's sustainable and scalable so it's not a problem in the future as we pick another problem to go approach and solve? So I, I love being able to be a part of the of, of hopefully a lot, hopefully educators lives of that is more focused on problem solving and really solution seeking, not just for today, but for the long term. So we can kind of make some progress here, you know. 
Um, I'm, I'm going to ask the cynical question because I'm sure people listening and even myself have that thought in their mind. Well, if I gave, if I gave my administrator a solution, they aren't going to implement it anyway, or, you know, what, whatever variation you would want to take of that. So my question is when you, like you said, you're uniquely positioned because you have your, your hand in, in both places. Do you feel like it's tough to communicate the feelings of a teacher to, you know, the administrators you talk to and vice versa? Because I'm sure a teacher could never understand what an administrator is going through, especially over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And it feels like from a teacher's perspective that administrators have lost touch of where teachers are really at. So how do you work on on that particular part of trying to open the line of communication between those two groups? This is actually an issue that I feel very close to over the last three months. So I'm going to be very careful because I I don't want to speak out of turn here. um, I love this question because I, this is really a, a huge amount of what I've been working on the last few months because this is what the community is talking about, right? Teachers, when I'm meeting with them, want to talk about how they feel misunderstood by leadership all the time. And leadership, as I'm meeting with them, wants to talk about how teachers are just not understanding what they're asking them to do. And it is just a never-ending circle. It feels like we're on a on a mouse, a mouse trap, right? Where we're just going to go, go, go. And, um, I am struggling with this because I think everyone in a um, space of crisis wants to find a bad guy. We want to find a a person to blame. And as an educator, I used to blame and did blame my administrator all the time for stuff. Um, I think as I've learned more about leadership, I'm learning that administrators have very, very little power. And I I gave them all the power. They were the holders of all things good and all things bad. And they were worthy of not only carrying the crown of being the face of the building, but they also were worthy of all the garbage that came with that when stuff came down the pipeline. And I have learned a great deal. I have had to apologize a great deal as I've learned that administrators, at least at the administrator level that we're talking about, principals, assistant principals, even directors in some regard, coaches in some regard, have exceptionally limited power and are truly the messengers in so many decisions. I don't actually think there are many things that they get to make decisions on that teachers choose to blame them for. On the flip side, I think leaders have an exceptional ability to forget what it's like to be a teacher. And as we transition into leadership, they believe that teachers should be treated differently than students. And the reality is, is that as you become a school building leader, the only thing that changes in your role is that your teachers are now your audience rather than having 11 year olds as your audience. And so I spend countless hours talking to administrators about what they would expect in a classroom to be done when this type of message when a message needs to be communicated and really pushing back and wondering why that isn't the same except like expectation for an administrator as they're leading a professional development meeting on a Monday morning. So I I think that that to me there's this misunderstanding of the two groups, but they're easy to to put to pit against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of people making decisions that aren't in those two groups. And I'd rather have 
teachers and leadership come together to really foster the right solution um, rather than being frustrated with each other because they're fighting with two groups that aren't actually the problem creators. Um, there's a chapter in a book that I published in 2020 that says, you know, teachers deserve respect and teachers deserve, deserve good leadership. And the whole book is all about what teachers deserve. But those two things specifically, the one about respect emphasizes the fact that teachers do deserve respect. But the first moment to be able to get what we deserve is teachers informing people about why they deserve respect. Because unfortunately, it isn't just an inherent belief that teachers deserve respect. It's teacher's role to say, I'm educated. It's a teacher's role to say, I have my master's degree. I've studied this. I know the research. I do 180 hours of professional development every three years to keep my license. And the first thing that needs to happen is teachers advocating for themselves. And I think it'll be easier to advocate for themselves um, when they see that the people that are around them aren't all against them. There's just a few people who don't understand the perspective. So I went down a rabbit hole there. I apologize, but it's a great question. No, you, you really helped because I'm over here taking notes because I'm in that kind of crazy crossroads right now where um, I'm, I'm considering throwing my name in a hat. Well, throwing my name in a hat for, for an administrative position um, after 15 years in the classroom. Killing. And I fought it. And Kyle knows since we've met, I've told him that's one thing I never wanted to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but having to serve kind of in small capacities to help out on my campus because we're short in an administrator. I've seen the impact that I could have. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because it's not like because I'm frustrated to be in the classroom. Like I love the classroom is my jam. Like that's my space. You know, I love teaching kids. And I think that's my hard part is what you said is about realizing that now my students are not the 11 and 12 year old, you know, students that's coming in. They're the, the 28 to 30 to 23 to 40 year old teachers that now I have to engage in the exact same way that I engaged my classroom. Yeah, the positive phone calls home, the building relationship with stakeholders, the ability to lesson plan and provide a hook, and then you need to summative and formatively evaluate. This is the same practices that we need to do with our educators. And it goes back to what they say a principal is. The principal is the, is the chief leader, the executive leader in a campus. And if the principal is not setting that example to where I walk into a meeting and you see an agenda and you see a well thought out lesson plan the exact same way that we're expecting to see when we when we walk into a classroom, then it kind of throws teachers off because now why am I going to hear what you're saying when you're not doing what you're telling me to do? Well, and to be honest, the this the things that are lacking, and I'm I'm generalizing, but the skills that are lacking in teachers, like um, I don't believe teachers understand their worth like they should. I don't think teachers advocate for themselves like they should. I don't think teachers understand the game sometimes of business like I think that they should. Uh, I think those same weaknesses are in our leadership in most cases. I think leaders don't advocate for themselves like they should. I don't think leaders understand. So I really want to see these groups come together because we have more similarities than differences. And we're all in the trenches under the same building. And I, I really don't mean to, to like burst anyone's bubble. And I'm not saying it's a black and white system, but the principal that you are mad at is not making the decisions that you think they are. We had a snow day here. I'm in Illinois in the Chicagoland area, got a boatload of snow Tuesday night. And I have to tell you, every school in the entire state was closed except for like 
four. And the four weren't like all grouped together and the top half of Illinois didn't get snow. It was just districts in random spots across the state that said, nah, we know we have 15 inches of snow, but let's still go in and have a great day. And I was talking to teachers of, on, after Wednesday and they were mad. And these, I talked to a principal on Thursday. He was like, my building was mad. They were so mad that we had school that I made them come in and I made them work. And then Guys, the principal had no bit, they had no business making that call. The principal had zero voice in that discussion. The principal wasn't the one that made the phone call to the person that needed to know to inform the news outlets that they were open. They just had to show up just like everybody else. And so it's, I just want to be careful as we, you know, like find someone to blame. Like it's okay to be upset. It's okay to, you know, want someone to blame because it feels good when it's not your fault. But just be careful because geez, our leadership is taking heat for a lot. And I have to tell you, I truly believe 90% of it. They didn't even get asked their opinion about what you're upset about. And that sucks for them. And I was just about to say that because I know I talk very candidly with my principal and he's an advocate for himself, for his building, for his students, for his teachers. And he tells me, he goes, I just don't know what I can do to get teachers to realize that I was fighting against this. As I was hearing it, I raised, I was the one raising my hand saying, hey guys, have you thought about this? Have we thought about that? He goes, so teachers don't realize that, again, you're not in as much control as you think when you get to that level. You know, and even, you know, I was sharing with my students, I say, even our superintendent, her hands are tied to the board. Yeah. You know, she can have great ideas, but if the board says no, then it's no. And truly, and and it, and it has to be no, because that's how the system works. The superintendent will lose their job, just like we're nervous about losing our job. That's how this works. And it's just so funny as you look at how that structure operates, and you got to be really careful around who you blame, because your, your principal might be there fighting tooth and nail, tears coming down their face, please don't do this to my teacher. But the moment a decision made is made, that principal becomes a messenger. It's like a marriage where if you want to go out to dinner with your friends and they're all bringing their husbands and your husband says, I can't come, please don't make me. I have this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. And I don't have a babysitter. You have to go without me. When you show up at that dinner, you're like, oh, Steve wasn't feeling well. This, you know, you're, you're backing him up because you're the messenger. You make your husband look good in front of your friends. And you know that there was a decision made that you don't agree with, but you're there with a smile on saying, oh my gosh, guys, but he wanted to be here and he'll be here next time. He's so wonderful. I so appreciate the work that he does to make our family work. And principals are doing the same thing. They're putting on their face and they're the messengers and it stinks, but it is what it is. So I guess the the easy follow-up question is where where do you see the power being is it just strictly like the school board is it the community is it government what i mean because i i and i yeah i'll let you answer this one then i'll come back to my next follow-up i don't think there's a one answer to this question um I think everybody has a different passion space that they like to believe and acts change. I know a lot of friends that have wanted to move into educational law or educational politics and they wanna to go to DC and they wanna sit on the steps and they wanna make a change. Um, I actually just have a different passion space. I think it's within our communities. I think that our communities are ignorant to what's going on uh, in our schools. And I think that ignorance creates hatred. I think ignorance creates fear. I think ignorance creates um, distrust. 
And I think that while government officials and whatever are making these decisions, I think it fosters first with our communities, understanding, respecting, and loving the school system and understanding at a, at a community level as well, what decisions are made by the building and what decisions are not. Uh, and if we can fix the ignorance, uh, I think we're gonna fix a lot of concern. So I'm sorry this has gone in a negative way, but I really do feel no, like this is an important topic. No. Nope. This is this, this is literally not the work I do ever. This is just my opinion. <laughs> well, no, it you know this this particular is you know our our passion space is really teachers in those first three years mm -hmm. to really support those people and ensure that they get what they need in terms of mentorship and and support to stay in the profession and part of it. Um, you know, it's that definition of optimism where optimism is not positivity. Optimism is like, this is the situation, but I'm hopeful mm -hmm. that that things will, will get better or that things can get better. But, I'm, you know, it's, it's that perspective of, you know, the community-based, um, you know, people just not knowing. I, I guess and then... I think a third year teacher, first to third, has a responsibility to do all the things we're talking about. I think sometimes we talk about education and first year teachers or early early education teachers are like, well, I hope to do that, but I, I got to get a few years in. And the reality is that you can be educating your community. You can be understanding the decisions that can and cannot be made by your leadership staff. And you can be advocating for the people that are looking to place blame and ensuring that it's going to a safe and appropriate person. But you know, the best thing that I did to understand the balance of power was attend a school board meeting. Mm. You know, as as as, bleh, as we can make it, the reality is, is when you sit there and you listen, you understand that there's a chain and there's a decision that has to, the decisions that have to take place. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you know, and one of the things you said is that, you know, teachers are always looking for someone to blame. Administrators are always looking for someone to blame. When the reality is we should stop trying to look for people to blame. You know, one of the things I tell my kids is own it. Take everyone else out of the equation and own it. What was your part? Whether it was because of ignorance, whether it was because of laziness, whether it was because of I just didn't want to, own your part in it. Don't worry about the global because if everyone owned their part, then we can move on from it. Which I think is, I mean, it's human nature to look for someone to blame, but I love that concept of own it. And that's what I meant as I was discussing, you know, teachers deserve respect. Yes, you do. But what are you doing today to ensure that you can own it and also be a part of that solution? And so, you know, a teacher that's sitting back and listening to this podcast and saying, all right, guys, you're talking about big top level stuff. What can I do? Some really tangible things is you know, really get to know the hierarchy within your school, within your school building, within your district, choose to ask questions uh, with a lens of wanting to learn rather than to judge and choose when you're sitting around your community or when even when you're with your teacher friends, choose to lend some perspective and, and just, you know, try and educate some of the really important elements of the work that we're doing because we got powerful jobs, guys. This is good. We got to tell people how great it is. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think we were interviewing uh, Hal Bowman and he was saying when he was a band director, he, he wanted kids to come in from elementary 
or from middle school playing a certain instrument, he would get the coolest kids in the school to take a picture holding the instruments or go with them when they went to the elementary school holding the instrument, even if they couldn't play it because now I want to play the trombone because you see the, the football player played the trombone. And he said that that's what teachers have to kind of, we have to kind of create a space to where teachers are, as you said, advocating for themselves, putting themselves like, instead of complaining about what's not happening or what you can't do or what you're not allowed to do or what you're being told to do, talk about what you get to do every day. You know, spread that around about, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate saying, you know, I get to come to work every day and do the one thing that I love more than anything. I get to sit here and have conversations with little minds that, that sparks little things within myself. You know, I get to make a difference in a kid's life. I get to make a difference in a family life, in a family's life. Those are the conversations that we need to be having with the general community. So it will shift, you know, respect gets respect. You have to get give respect in order to get it. And if teachers are not, as you said, that self starting with self, then we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we're asking for more. Well, and similar to what we've been discussing, to add to that within that conversation, teachers need to be thinking of their community like their audience, like their students. How do you lesson plan a conversation to ensure that you're getting the end result? How do you formatively assess that your message was heard and what, what minor tweaks or reteaching can you do if there's a miscommunication as you're going through your passion and what your role is? And then can you give your audience a tactical strategy, a step they can go do to be a part of the solution? So if you want them to understand that teachers are passionate, well-educated, and really wanting to do better, but they have roadblocks in front of them and you want them to understand what those roadblocks are, how can we evaluate that they got that, that understanding and what steps can they do to help educators overcome those hurdles? I mean, again, these are the same practices and we know how to do them. We just need to commit to it. Thank you again, everybody, for listening to this episode of the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. Um, we really appreciate it. Like I said, if you are not following Ray, which I assume you already are, please go do that. Follow Teach Better Team. If you're not following us and you're not subscribed, please do that. We mean the world to us. Um, we're trying to come out with two podcasts a week uh, over various topics and different things, but we love you. We appreciate you. And like I said, um, thanks for checking out this episode with Ray. We'll be back with part two next week.